Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, We have been reading together uh, about the life of the Apostle Peter for the last few weeks, and I have been uh, saying all along that this is really a story about what the steadfast love of Jesus does to Peter. It's a story about what that love works in him and what it calls him to and what it makes of him for the life of the world. And that makes it a hopeful story, I think, because seeing Jesus with Peter points to what the love of Jesus might make of me and you too. So this morning, uh, we're going to read about something uh, mysterious and strange and beautiful that happened to Jesus. And it, uh, it caught Peter off guard, that is for sure. So I'm going to read from Luke 9 for us, verses 28 through 36. It's printed in the order of worship if you want to follow along there. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that uh, as, we, um, as we talk about this word that we've just read and heard together, uh, that what we heard read from the psalm would be true, that in your light we would see light that we would see everything around us more clearly, ourselves and who you are and what this world is like and what we have been made for. And so, Father, we know that this will happen if the Good Shepherd comes to tend us in these few minutes to help those who are hurting, to seek after the ones who are wandering away, to feed those with him with good food. So we pray this all in his name. Amen. Well, a lot of times uh, when Allison and I leave somebody's house after uh, hanging out or dinner or drinks or something like that, we we have this well-worn dialogue. It is uh, a dialogue that's been happening for over 25 years now. Um, And it starts with me saying something like this, well, we did it again. I think we overstayed our welcome. (laughs) And then Jesus, uh, Jesus, wow. (laughs) Glad Allison is not in this service. Do not tell her I called her Jesus. Jesus. Wow, I'm doing it again. 
So I'll say that I think we overstayed our welcome. And then Allison will respond emphatically uh, with something like, no, you overstayed our welcome. That's why I was kicking you. That's why I was giving you those looks about an hour ago. And I don't know why you acted like you couldn't see me. <laughs> and she is always right about that. So this is my chance to offer a blanket apology. If I've ever done that to you, if I've ever overstayed my welcome with you, I am mostly sorry. It's not that I don't pick up on social clues. It's not that I cannot see people yawning. I do, and I can. But when the conversation is good, I always want it to go on for just a few more minutes. When the, when the meal has nourished body and heart, I always want to linger over the coffee a little bit longer. When the wedding celebration has reached the place where people are unironically singing a journey song at the top of their lungs, I always want the DJ to spin a few more songs. So while I hope all of you are better, better than I am at overstaying a welcome, I also hope that you know kind of exactly what I'm talking about. Because in the middle of all that presses in on us, all that concerns us, all that troubles us, in the, in the middle of the things that we have brought on ourselves or that have been brought to us without our asking, it is very good to experience a moment and think, I hope that this never ends. I hope that this goes on forever. Because when we feel that church, we are getting a small taste of all that we have been made for. And I think that's what happened to Simon up on that mountain in euphoria, delirious with both fear and joy, ba ba bathing in a glory that he could never be able to comprehend. That's what happened to Simon. He said, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make tents. I hope this never ends. I want us to stay here forever. Simon got a small taste on that mountain of all that he had been made for, and he wanted to savor it as long as he possibly could. Now, that's not what he got, of course. What he got was a voice pointing him back to someone. <laughs> what he got was a voice pointing him back to the one who had called him when he resisted who had lifted him out of the sea when he doubted, who had promised him a vocation when he confessed, who had told him the truth and called him back to faith when he had wandered so wildly out of line. And it would be good for all of us, I think, to see ourselves in Peter on that mountain and to get a taste for that same glory and to hear that same voice that points us back to Jesus. So Luke writes that all of this happened about eight days after these sayings. That's very specific. And what that does is ties that moment to all that we have been talking about really together as a congregation over the last couple of weeks. That last week or so in Jesus' life had marked a significant milestone, a significant turning point, not only for Jesus, but of course also for the disciples. First, Simon had confessed that Jesus was the Messiah. He said, I know that you are the final king, the king whose rule is going to spread justice 
and peace to the ends of the earth. We talked about that a, a couple of weeks ago. Simon couldn't possibly know. He didn't know the shape that those words would take or the weight that they would really have. But what he knew was enough. And Jesus affirmed him with this incredibly deep blessing. And he gave him a vocation for the life of the world. You are the rock and I will build my church on you. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> but then Jesus started telling them all what kingship meant and it wasn't exactly what Simon had in mind. I'm going to suffer many things, Jesus said, and then I'm going to be killed. And uh, this was not what Simon thought the Messiah should do. It is not who he thought the Messiah should be. And for sure, he did not think that this was what the life of the, the vaunted rock, the celebrated holder of the keys, was going to look like either. So he took Jesus aside to rebuke him, to set him straight, and Jesus said, you are Satan. A hindrance, Simon. Get behind me and learn and listen a little more, or a lot more. And then Jesus told all of the disciples, and me and you for that matter, that if any of us are going to follow him, we're going to have to take up our own crosses, that we're going to have to lose our lives in order to find life. Jesus said that it's possible for people like us to gain the whole world and still lose the only things that matter the most. Those are the sayings that Luke is talking about in verse 28. And now it's a week later. And I always wonder what was that week like for the disciples and what was that week like for Simon in particular? Disorienting, unsettling, confusing. Maybe they were scared, unsure of what might happen next. Unsettled and confused and disoriented and scared. I know that there are some of us here this morning who feel those same ways, there always are. You may not be feeling exactly those feelings right now, but I can promise you there are people sitting all around you who are feeling it, who do feel those things. Honestly, I think the older I get, I, I think I feel those things more frequently, or maybe it's just that when I was younger, I, I didn't recognize them or want to admit that it was true. I don't know, but I do know that as long as we live as fallen people in a fallen world. As long as we live as sinful people in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be, we're going to feel these realities sometimes. We're going to feel unsettled and uncertain and scared and hurt because all the stuff that piles up on us, a relationship that is off the rails, a call from the doctor that we did not want to get, passed over at work again, feeling underwater, at school with no hope. Church, we were not made for that. We were not made for disruption. We were not made for shame and jealousies and diseases and abuse and slights. We were not made for that. We were made, as the old confession says, to enjoy God forever. And that's the truth. That's what we were made for. We were made to enjoy uninterrupted peace with God and with each other and with ourselves and with the whole created order. We were made for communion and we were made for flourishing and beauty and delight and good. You don't have to take my word for it. Just read the first couple chapters of Genesis or maybe, maybe read the Old Testament prophets 
and just listen, really listen to the language that they use, to the language they employ and evoke to try to describe all that God is working overtime to get us back to. Just listen to what they say. Lions and lambs asleep together, mountains flowing with sweet wine everywhere. No one to hurt, no one to destroy anywhere. Death swallowed up, tears wiped away, swords beaten into pruning hooks and plowshares. The least among us feeling as mighty as a clan. And the list goes on and on. Church, that's what we were made for. That is what we were made for. If we can dare to believe it, we have been made to share the life of God himself, to live in his reflected glory, radiant forever. That's what we have been made for. It's the truth. Okay, so after the week they've had, Jesus says, Simon, James, John, come up on the mountain with me to pray. And I guess the first thing to note is that Simon has in no way been abandoned by Jesus. (laughs) And that's, I think, really good news for misguided disciples, for disciples who have screwed up, both then and now. That's good news. He's not even on the outs with Jesus. On the contrary, he is invited to join a small group, Jesus and the Zebedee boys, on the mountain to pray. Now, the truth is, at this point, what that means uh, is that Jesus is going to pray, and and James and John and Simon are going to do what they do. As Luke says in verse 32, they were heavy with sleep. So Jesus prays, and they sleep. And here's what Luke says, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Now that is uh, some very sturdy prose, as in just the facts, ma'am. But church, what happened is really beyond the ability of prose to fully capture. So the poet's The poets have to step in on that mountain where all moments meet. The daily veil that covers the sublime in darkling glass fell, dazzled at his feet. The love that dances at the heart of things shone out upon us in human face, and to that light, the light in us leapt up. And we felt it quicken somewhere deep within a sudden blaze of long extinguished hope. I don't, I don't fully understand what happened there on that mountain. And I think if someone tells you they do, you should probably look at them sideways. <laughs> but I do know that for a few moments, the gauze was split. I do know that that thin veil between what really is and and our dim apprehension of what really is was drawn aside, and for a moment, what really is was seen. That dark glass that separates what we can see with our eyes and feel with our hands and the immeasurable, incomprehensible truth that lies hidden behind it, that mirror, that window was broken, and for a moment it was glimpsed. It was a tiny taste of what we have been made for. The glory of God shared with us. 
Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus in that glory. Now the list of reasons that people suggest to explain their, their presence in that particular moment, it's a very long list. Why Moses? Why Elijah? There's lots of good guesses, but we're never going to know for sure because we were not told. Here's what we were told. We were told what they talked about. His departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And so finally, at the, at the back end of this holy conference, Peter and James and John wake up. <laughs> and they see all of this. You know, they, they see, as Luke says in verse 32, they see his glory. And they see the two of those men standing there with Jesus. I don't know how long they gaped at that thing. Maybe a couple minutes, maybe just a couple of seconds, but it was enough, however long it was. And as quickly as it started, it started to end. And Peter, in that moment, apprehended that something amazing was slipping away. As the men were parting from Jesus, Simon tried his best to make it all stop. Simon tried to freeze that moment in time so that he could savor it as long as he could. Master, it's good that we're here. Let's just build tents. I don't ever want this to end. I want it to go on forever. <laughs> to that light, his light leapt up, a long extinguished hope born anew. Peter had seen what he was made for. Peter had seen the glory that he was meant to share. He had seen the shared glory of God with us. The joy of it, the embrace of it, the satisfaction of it, the pleasure of it, the perfection of it, the completeness of it. He had seen it all. For just a moment, the veil had slipped back, and he felt what it felt like to enjoy God forever. Of course he wanted it to go on forever, because it's supposed to. So you, you and I, I don't think, should expect to see anything quite like the transfiguration of Jesus. That's the church's name for this. I don't think we should expect to see the transfiguration of Jesus on this side of heaven. So I'm glad that God saw fit to make sure that we knew about it as dense and as mysterious and strange as it is. But church, I want you to know that God gives us little tastes of it all of the time. At a meal, in worship, walking with a friend, underneath a canopy of stars, staring into a fire, in a conversation where you are known and seen, in the smell of a newborn, in an embrace, in a kiss, at a feast, at a dance, at a play, at the end of a book, at the crescendo of that song that you love so much. Anytime we feel it, anytime we feel that feeling that is like, I don't want this to ever end. I want this to go on forever. Church, that is a taste of the glory of God. That is a taste of the glory of God reflected off of the face of others or in their voices or in their touch, that is a taste of the reflected glory of God off of this good world that he's made, 
or off of the many great gifts he has given to the children of mankind. That is a taste of what it will feel like to enjoy God forever. It's a taste of what we have been made for. It remains elusive to us now, yes, but not unknown to us. And thank God for that, and I mean that. When you feel it, say, thank you, God. <laughs> and Jesus came to lead us back to that forever. You know, Luke is the only one of the gospel writers who tells us what they were talking about, those three on the top of the mountain. And he uses a pretty important word to describe it. The word that we read as departure is the word exodus. And nobody imagines that Luke used that word, you know, by coincidence. They were talking about Jesus' exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. That is where Jesus is headed to a new Exodus. He is going to lead his people out of slavery to sin. He's going to lead the world out of its bondage to death and decay. He's going to lead his people to this new promised land, a new creation filled with the presence and glory of God forever. And in a mystery that is both great and terrifying, he will be the Passover lamb that secures that exodus and that liberation. He will be the Paschal Lamb, a ransom given for many. And you know, Peter had been resistant to that. He did not want to hear about a Messiah who is a Passover Lamb who is slaughtered. He did not want to hear about it, which is why when he wanted that moment to last forever, frozen in time, which is why he didn't know what he was talking about. The impulse is right. It is completely understandable, but the timing is way off. Because without a cross, there is no way back to what we have been made for. Without a paschal lamb, there is no exodus and liberation for people like us. It is through the forgiveness of sins that we make our way back to the shared glory of God. It is through the forgiveness of sins graciously offered to us in Jesus that we are able to be ushered back into enjoying God forever. So it's no surprise. It's no surprise, really, that Peter's attempt at capturing that moment frozen in time is subverted by a voice. It's a voice that points Peter and you and me back to Jesus. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So follow him if you haven't. And stay with him if you have. And come back if you have wandered away. Remain with him and listen to him. Because he is the one who leads us back through his cross and resurrection and ascension to all that we have been made for. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that in whatever way, uh, whatever way you think it's necessary or right or helpful for us, that you would help us to see that reflected glory and to trace it back to its source and to know it is you. 
that you have made us to share life with you, to reflect your glory radiant forever in joy and in peace. Father, help us to see that and help us to recognize it and help us to be faithful in following the one who will lead us there. We ask that you would do this for our good so that we'll grow up in our faith and mature and strengthen and so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.